I just want Garvey to see groups of people that's not necessarily one group of people fully in charge of everything. And here in Athens, let's be honest, it's mostly cisgender white males in charge of every goddamn thing. And if you don't play into that ecosystem, it's a little oppressive. I don't want him to think that's the norm. I'm Kamau Akabawizi, a creative and strategist, and I've got a 13-year-old son that you'll get to know as the H. Word. My name is Kamau Ware. I'm an artist slash historian, CEO of Kamau Studios, founder of Black Gotham Experience, and father of a son you'll get to know as Spades, who is 22 years old. What's good, people? I'm Adrian Ali Franks, better known as AD, creative, designer, father of a young guy. He is now... 19 months. And this is The Stages, where three Black fathers at various stages of parenthood discuss our health journeys, physical, mental, and professional, and how fatherhood inspires our connected paths. We all carry a lot on our shoulders as a part of the human experience, and often you need a friend to carry that weight with you. That's why it's so important that you sincerely check in with your people on a regular basis. Kamau, Adrian, and I do this every episode with a segment called The Way In. All right, y'all. Welcome to the stages. I'm here with Kamau and Adrian. What's up, fellas? What it do? What's going on, man? It has been a crazy week of news and like probably I'm sure a lot of personal life things happening as well. So just as always want to check in with you brothers, see what's going on in your world, see what's happening, you know, in general. And then we'll roll into today's major topic, man. But just, you know, as usual, I just always love hearing from you brothers and what's going on in your world. So come on, what's up with you this week? Well, I had probably one of my more full days yesterday than I've had since like February. Well, in the morning, we were going to record, then we had to push back. But then right after that, I had a Zoom event with my man, Malik Bartholomew, who runs No Nola Tours in New Orleans. And that was from two to three. Then I skated to the studio to run interviews for architects that are working with me to renovate the Black Awesome Experience studio. And then we had a closing ceremony for a public artwork in the Seaport District, then came home and watch some urban world film festival pieces. So I had like, it's like a lot of interaction with people in real life and virtually. So it was my most full day of activity with the world since before I knew what the coronavirus was. Yeah, man. So that architectural project you've been working on, I've seen some screenshots. We've had a little bit of conversation about it, but very light. What's happening with that and what's happening with the space down there? Well, you know, We've had like extensions in our lease in the seaport for short term. And so we got our first long term lease in August, which gave me more space to pursue renovations that we've wanted to make for a couple of years. And there's just alignment with mitigations because of the coronavirus with having a space that can just be closed. So we're not doing public programming for mitigation reasons. So that's the perfect time to just like be in there with finishes and draft paper and just like figure out how we want to make the space line up with our next cycle. We just closed our 10 year anniversary. And so now we're looking forward to our next 10 years 
and just want to have the space ready to facilitate more media production, also just communicate different things about Blackness that is subtle, nuanced, elegant, and powerful, and bringing in different voices. Because I think I did a pretty good job. I'm not an architect, but I do crush on the craft. But I got my man, Ibrahim, who's the principal at Bold Architecture. And I have Taylor Baskin, who's the principal at Roe Pearl. And then we have Nika Andre, who I met through Adrian and Nicole, who's the principal of NJA Interiors. So we have three Black designers who are interpreting the brand at different stages, base drawings to millwork to actual furniture. And it's just been a dope process because often a lot of Black people who are designers at that level don't get to work with a Black team. So it's been fun. It's been exciting. And it's nice to have something like that to look forward to. Yeah, man. So for this project in particular, again, you're in the public art space. You're in a partnership with the Lower Manhattan Cultural Council. How is this particular update, renovation, planning, as much as you can disclose, just because I think it would be interesting for the audience who has you know similar ambitions. How's a project like that funded? in order to allow you to do the level of work and the level of renovation and preparation that you want to do for that next decade of the Black Album experience? Well, we've been blessed to have just a range of organizations and businesses and individuals that are just true believers and true connectors. There's law firms who come to us like multiple times a year, like, hey, we want to bring our interns. We want to plug you into this context. We've had different companies book me to do talks over the summertime. And so what I'm doing is reaching into those communities that I've already had established connections with and taking what is usually a nonprofit model, which is, hey, you can get your name on a dedication wall, but also adding value to the table, giving them the things that they've already paid us for in the past, but at a percentage point where we're going to basically ramp that up and say, this is a package where you can get to support us creating the kind of media that you already have shown an interest in, but also be a partner, like a very real partner. So it's not like cutting a check and walking away and you just put your logo somewhere, but you'll get an opportunity to be a part of the very cadence and conversation that you've already spent your time and energy investing in. And so I'd rather do it that way than crowdfund or find a way to like get a grant for it. I'd rather develop the relationships that we have now and establish this new vocabulary where we can just have different businesses. Because I think it's also part of people often don't understand that Black Often Experience is run by a for-profit small studio. So it's one thing to have an organization like Lord Manhattan Cultural Council, who believes in my work as an artist and have their support and have them as champions, but also have a Howard Hughes Corporation that also is like, yeah, we believe in what you're creating from a cultural standpoint. And most people in the seaport are either nonprofits or businesses, mostly are businesses, but being able to like make a choice that makes sense for our future where we won't have much limitations once we get that space set up to do different types of activities, be it for-profit or just educational. But for us, those things are blended because people pay us for our educational offerings. Yeah. Or that's dope, man. I mean, at the end, I want to make sure that we let people know how they can support either through membership or other means because you got a lot of great things going on, man. So I'll make sure to drop that in at the end. Yeah, I didn't even mention membership. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I know, man. We'll get there. We'll get there. Hey, D, 
What's been up with you, brother? Yeah, man. Everything's cool. Back down south, back in old Dixie, new old Dixie, you know, Trump's world. But yeah, it's cool, man. Um, definitely just been doing a bunch of things around the house, just trying to get what, you know, you know how it is with a house, man. Everything is a project, like getting toilet paper is a project. So like, you know, obviously <laughs> getting a commode for that toilet paper to live in, it's a project, right? So yeah, that's been me and Nicole's thing, man. Just trying to get these small things, some major things done so we can get we're calling the maroon, you know, really just ready to go in 2021. And that's been mostly my free time. So anything outside of like raising Garvey, which is 24 seven, I was yep. being on Zoom calls for like work and doing any kind of freelance work. All my free time, man, it's been mostly just trying to get things done around the house. Right. So there's everything between like putting up blinds. Well, we got rid of the blinds, putting up curtains, taking down blinds, looking at the landscaping getting rid of mice because this house laid up for two years empty. So we got a couple of guys who want to kind of move in. Like they've been here. So we're the new neighbors, actually. So the mice, we kind of had to evict those guys and keeping the cold from like losing her shit because she <laughs> don't like rodents. Yes, indeed. But that's it, man. I'm just surviving COVID and trying to lose weight and even be creative every now and then. So yeah. Busy black man shit. Dude, the busy black man shit is real, bro. I've been just peeping your, like, I don't even know what your work life is right now, other than some of the hints that you've been dropping on the group text. But the balance of what you got going on from a work life standpoint, new homeowner, settling in there, you still got a toddler in your life. You know what I mean? Yeah. How are you balancing that right now and being creative and like the artwork? And I mean, I'd love for you to even dive a little bit deeper into Maroon and your inspiration for that project and giving people a connection into what you're doing there. Because again, we see snippets of it through social, but that context is, I think is important. Yeah. I mean, it's two things for me. The balance of all this is water, just staying hydrated. Because, you know, I think a lot of times we even undervalue the importance of being hydrated because sometimes if you're just not hydrated enough, you just don't think well and you actually don't have energy. So actually being hydrated is actually probably much more important than a balanced meal to a certain degree. Just drinking a lot of water, you're probably going to get more value from that than just overeating, obviously. You can never get enough water, but you can obviously eat too much food unless you're drowning or some shit. But that's kind of morbid. Anyway, uh, <laughs> The other thing is communication. Mm-hmm. Me and Nicole use a shared calendar that more or less allows us to make sure that when she's got something going on, I know about it. When I got something going on, she know about it. And even though we're like sheltering in place in this house, I mean, everybody got shit that they got to work on. Nicole got the business that she needs to take care of in terms of like writing articles or meeting with different types of editors, still trying to figure out certain aspects of like what's her next book going to be about or just connecting with people from an industry, right? But that requires a meeting and being able to see what's going on in her life and my life, openly talking about it or having it at least on a calendar, we all know who's doing what. And even when we have to have people come and like service the home, I know where to go look because it's in a calendar. So there's no hidden thing that I don't know what's going on at any given time. She knows what's going on. I know what's going on. So I would say water and communication has been my biggest weapon in terms of balancing everything, right? Yeah, man. Hydration and communication. Even communicating with people at the job, like, hey, I'm just not going to make this seventh WebEx. I just can't do it. Like, it is Mm -hmm. 4 o'clock in the afternoon. The person who's helping us with Garvey, they leave around about that time or sometimes earlier. And I just kind of have to, like, not join 
a five o'clock call. It's just not going to work, you know? Yeah, definitely. So communication has just been helping, bro. Yeah, we've had similar thing. I had to have a conversation with the leadership of my agency just to talk about the idea of, I mean, one of the things I was nervous about going into this school year with the H going into this school year, his eighth grade year of remote learning throughout the year is my own schedule and being able to find the time to be with him because I don't know if I've even told you guys, but I put him into a virtual private school. So instead of going back to his public school that was doing three and a half hours of Zoom every day and then, you know, compound work and compound work, his mother and I basically worked on a plan to put him into a virtual private school who it's been their business model to be virtual for their students since 2010. Wow. So this wasn't a reactive thing to COVID for them. It's their actual model. And it's a little bit more like college curriculum style where he only has one subject per day per week. So like Monday is math, Tuesday might be gym and science, Wednesday might be a free day. Thursday, he's got social studies. Friday, he's got like performance psychology and another class like science. And so he's got a lot more free time. So I needed to make sure that in my organization, they understood as well that I need to be around for that free time to make sure that he's engaged and doing some of the right things. But it's actually been one of the best decisions that we made because he's I think flourishing a lot more in this environment, but the school itself is called ICL Academy. It was built for like athletes, actors, entertainers, like kids who ultimately need that flexibility in their schedule so they could be anywhere in the world, but still get a quality education and learn, but have that freedom in their schedule. So they're not locked into eight hours of classes every day. And it took a bit of analysis and a bit of understanding of what that is. And fortunately, my ex and I were doing some research and she had landed on this particular school. So we did a lot of talking with them and landed on something that actually works for him, but also creates a situation where he and I aren't at each other's throats every day about school. Like we can actually have the breathing room that we both need for me for work, him for a little bit more kind of a manageable schedule that isn't just breaking his brain. And so it's been dope to experience that. And fortunately, the company has also been really understanding of, I think, universally parents and those parents who are at home working, trying to manage homeschooling and need the space, like you said, to be able to do what we need to do in order to be productive and also know that there's times when we just need to be offline. That's good. Every episode, we dive into a topic on fatherhood and parenthood that we think important to explore more deeply. It may be the result of a life event, a subject that we've all wanted to discuss, or something happening in society and culture affecting us as parents. It brings up an important topic and especially want to dig into a lot of what's been going on with UAD. We can, I think, talk about this in macro, but I'd love to kick it real quick about nesting as fathers and what that means. Nesting 
really is a topic that a lot of times is only kind of discussed in motherhood contexts with mothers nesting. But when it comes to nesting as fathers, the spaces that we're trying to create for ourselves and for our families, for our creation, whatever it might be, is super important. But I think as fathers, it's really important as well. So I love to kick it about that, man. And AD, you've been through a pretty significant life change, location change, all the things at once, bro. So I would love to you know, I learned a little bit about this from Kamau, but I never heard the full story from you about the move, what motivated your move back home to Georgia, where you're situated now, like all the things, man. So I'd love to get into it, bro, and just hear a little bit about the story. Me and Nicole have been talking like this now for like maybe for the last couple of years, even before Garden was born, about the idea of owning land again, right? And we have been investigating different locations, like out of Jersey, upstate, back south, like even out west. Like, what does owning land look like? What do we consider home? And we just say that home is where community is. We do understand that sometimes owning something in the community you live in is kind of impossible, especially in New York City. Which we like that style and definitely living in Flatbush was cool. It's just impossible to own in those communities if you haven't bought something like 20, 30 years ago, right? Or unless you got like 1.2 million just sitting around in cash to buy something, it's this hard. So we're just looking at the situation with down with COVID. You know, an opportunity came up for us to take some of the money we've been saving and invest that into some land. And here's the funny thing. Nicole had always considered owning land in her hometown of Athens, Georgia. And I'm from Atlanta. Nicole is from Athens. And we met in Atlanta, obviously, you know, years after she uh, graduated from Clark, Atlanta. But uh, it just never crossed our mind, like, well, would we actually buy something in Athens and what would that look like? And she ran across this property, which matches everything that we talked about. We even did like a design thinking session about buying <laughs> land, right? And I ran it and, you know, started thinking about the pros and cons of owning versus renting versus co-owning it with another group of people or whatever, yeah. right? So long story short, we ran across this property. It has roughly about like almost five acres. Like it's like at five acres. Mm-hmm. It's a combined two lot piece of land. And it's mostly woods, but we can do whatever we want with it. I think I'm going to keep it mostly intact in terms of the woods because it's kind of funny. It's kind of cool living in your own forest, if that's what you want to call it. But it's interesting though, because we moved back here for temporary purposes. Cause we do see ourselves being back in New York City just because Garvey's born in New York and he should grow up there. And more than anything, I want him to be educated in New York, you know, educated around diverse groups of people. And that leads into this, right? We've been here for like the last three months or so. It's been interesting. The motivation definitely was like, okay, well, we can get out of New York for a second until COVID overall just kind of die down, even though the numbers are going up in Georgia, but we could just politely stay away from people. Definitely the APR, like the percentage rate, uh, like it's very low. I actually buying a house now is this depressing time to do it because the interest on this is really low. More than anything, it did allow us to start thinking about like, well, could we create an experience for black creatives to have a place to retreat, especially during times like this, especially during like public unrest and just resistance or whatever? Where can we go to actually do some retreats? And we figured buying this property is not just for us, but it's for the broader community of our friends who are creatives who may sometimes need a place to just kind of get away for a second. But being here these last three months, and I don't want to belabor it too much, it's been funny, bro, because 
people just can't believe that a black couple with a kid would want to live in a spot like this because, well, it's not necessarily off the trails, right? Like, we got a main road around the corner, like, not even a quarter of a mile away. But, you know, it's not like a typical house, right? So, mid-century house is kind of in the woods, and that's not kind of what black people do, yeah, right? No doubt. So, everybody from black people to white people, these are country motherfuckers. It's cool. Yeah, they just can't believe the fact that we would want to even live in this house or that this type of house would be owned by a black couple. I even had guys, black dudes, ask me, was I a football player? Like, nothing about me <laughs> like a football player. Like, I don't oh, know. You've been, you been in the gym, man. You've been working out. You've been running. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I, I can't run no screaming to none of that shit. Like, I got, like, zero hair, and I'm, like, you know, got gray shit. It all got me in the NFL right now. Fuck no. <laughs> You know, Falcons need yeah. my help probably, but no. But, um, yeah, man. So it's that mentality. Like, if anybody that's black and if you don't own like a regular, normal looking house, they're either a mm-hmm. celebrity or you got to be some type of athlete or you in the music business. I guess with my glasses, yeah. are like I'm in the music business, but I'm not of that, right? So even if I tell this guy, mm-hmm. no, I'm just a UX designer. I have no clue what the fuck that means. No clue. Zero. You're being humble, bro. Yeah. I mean, first of all, you are a massively successful artist. Right. Yeah. I, but at the same time, I get where you're coming from. Right. But if I and, say artist here, that's like saying, <laughs> oh, well, do you make, you know, you do craft art, you paint pretty pictures or mm-hmm. you don't do masterful things. You just paint pretty pictures. So I have to yeah. say something that seems like they can kind of understand. Right. Yeah. No and even that, it's just kind of hard for them to understand. It's cool. Mm-hmm. But our biggest pain point with having this property is. Living in the Northeast, you have that mentality of just get it done now. Sure. Whereas here, you know, people just take their time. They don't understand the sense of urgency. More and more people getting things done to their homes. Now. So having somebody to renovate your home is pretty hard because it's a shortage of talent. And even the talent just don't have to reply to you because where well, they getting all their um clientele from rich white people. So they don't care about a black couple with a kid in the middle of the woods. <laughs> Right. You so, put in your own <laughs> toilet, nigga. <laughs> you can bleep that out if you want. <laughs> so, I've been in a place that I've been in for about seven years. And one of the reasons why I've stayed here was because H was living with his mom and she was in Chicago and in LA and then Dallas before him coming to be with me full time. And I've always wanted the consistency of the space. I've wanted his bedroom to be his bedroom. And I've wanted this environment to be something that was consistent. And that's the main reason that I haven't moved for the past seven years. Now, I love my space. It's not like I've been thinking about moving at all. I really love my space. But a lot of the reason why I've stayed where I've stayed and have created this space I've created here is so that when he finally did come to me full time, which we always knew would be around high school timing, that he would feel some sense of domain that he would feel some sense of agency and ownership and like mastery of this space. So I'm curious in thinking about Garvey, you know, his life and his experience and as a toddler and what he's going to grow into and the memories you guys are going to create there, what influence, if at all, Garvey had on that move, even the choice of the property and the home that you guys are in right now. I would say definitely having a space for Garvey to kind of like move around was definitely one of the inspirations. But ironically, I can't see Garvey growing up here. The cool thing that Garvey's been able to do while being here is connect with 
his elders. He'd been in connect with his grandma, his great aunts, my mom. Well, he know both his grandmas, the Colesbaum and my mom. He's been able to connect with some of his uncles and aunts. I got to connect with some of his young cousins. I think that's cool. But overall, him growing up here, I don't see that happening, man. The way I grew up in Atlanta, I saw black people doing things. Like everybody from the bomb to the mayor was black. Even though the city was mostly black and white, but the part of the city I grew up in is black people own things uh, from floors to cleaners to gas stations to whatever, right? That's not the case here in Athens. Very few black people own anything. Most black people live in apartments. The ones who do own homes are like old enough to be my mom or grandma. The young black people have probably moved to the surrounding counties or they just left altogether like the cold for school and never really came back. So I just want Garvey to see groups of people that's not necessarily one group of people fully in charge of everything. And here in Athens, let's be honest, it's mostly cisgender white males in charge of every goddamn thing. And if you don't play into that ecosystem, it's a little oppressive. I don't want him to think that's the norm. So he would see this place as, okay, when I'm not in school or we on family vacation or we back down south for like the holidays, this is the other family home. And that's how he's going to see it. Even though it's very black here, it's very cultural inside his home. Yeah, he probably won't get that anywhere else in Athens. Unless you go to Atlanta, he won't get that really in the whole state of Georgia, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. K-Dub, how does it sit with you, like the general conversation around nesting as fathers? Your son, Spades, is older. He's in college. You guys had a great experience together recently that I'm certainly wanted to dig into and get to know more about. But that topic of nesting, kind of creating home and space for our kids and what that means as fathers, especially in our situations are similar where we're divorced from our partners or apart from our partners. They're living in different spaces. Our sons are going back and forth. What does this mean for you when you think about the world that you want to create and you know, have created for your son to come into and out of? There's a lot of different reactions, but I'm also just like actively listening too. So I'm just like absorbing it, you know, just commend y'all both on like decisions I've been able to make and then also follow through on. Cause it's one thing to make a decision, which is also challenging because the mind is a tricky ocean, but to make a decision, but also like follow through and make the thing happen. So just father to father, just kudos both of y'all for like the decisions with respect to the schooling model to um you know just having a place for for g money to run around and play with chickens and shit i do think that like for me nesting wasn't a concept in 2002 so when spades and i were doing our summers together because him and his mother moved to new york city after we had some custody mediation right around 9 11 and so every summer from like 2002 to 2005, six, he was with me for the summer and the holidays. And so for the summertime, it was just like, all right, cool. You know, it was like daddy camp. You know what I mean? So I used to have, I wouldn't just say debates. I would say there was like a legitimate level of animosity. People would be like, how come we can't babysit spades? And I was like, babysit for what? I'm right here. And I, and I <laughs> no doubt. What do you mean babysit? Hey, he's not a baby. And I don't need you sitting for me. And we will come through. You know what I'm saying? We'll pull up. 
it was both of us together. So, you know, and like I said, that mediation about time, I remember my lawyer was like, well, you know, for a father to have 35% of the child's time after a custody battle was pretty good. And it's like, yeah, but I'm losing 15% of my time and have to deal with the psychic tension of him not being in a small home town that he grew up in. So not quite, you're fired. But it's like when he came back home, it was just like, I just sent him a picture yesterday because when we went, I had a surprise in our school earlier this month and we took a road trip, our first road trip where he drove both ways. Mm. That's the first. Right. So we took a road trip, spent about, I don't know, man, like 10 hours in Pittsburgh and drove back. And a buddy of mine owns a restaurant called Costa Brazil. And we went there, we stood in the kitchen, drank some coffee he made for us. It's not on the menu, but he made coffee for us because you can't run a restaurant and not have caffeine. So we're sitting there drinking coffee. We hit the road, playing lots of nip. And I bought some shirts off my man to support his business because the coffee was just on the house. And then like the next day, when I'm about to fly back to New York, we both instinctively wore our Costa Brazil shirts. We didn't talk about it, but I put mine on. We have to go to the airport. He had his on. We both just kind of saw each other and like put our hand over our heart and nodded like, yeah, I see you. And we took some photos at the airport wearing our two shirts together. And then just like yesterday, I was going through the studio because we're about to like do some renovations. I got like a bunch of stuff in there, personal, professional. I came across a keychain that I keep that had a photo of me and him at Geauga Lake when he was like four. And we both have like a mastermind, that dude Mars from like the Bugs Bunny joints. He's like, this is modulator. Yes, that indeed. Dude, yeah, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> the weird black face dude with the like Roman hat on. A little alien, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah, it was racist. So we both had that shirt on and said mastermind. And it was like, damn, from like, four years old to like 22 years old it's interesting seeing how we both look and don't look different so just back in the day like we was going to Giada Lake and Chuck E. Cheese nesting for me was just like having like you know it was the summertime it was fun and you know how that goes brother so Indeed. you and I could both just have a little back and forth on vacation dad versus like full time mm-hmm. dad and it's a pivot Bruh, it is a massive pivot I learned a lot of lessons from some of the things you and I talked about and some of the things that you went through in that process. And one of the things that I forgot in H coming to me a bit early was the reality that like I was, like you said, like camp dad, like I was summertime. He's with me for the full summer. He's with me for Thanksgiving break, winter break, spring break. So there was no school in that. Maybe there was a little bit of schoolwork. Maybe there were camps, but it was all fun. It was all good times. And he would come here, he would have a space, he would have the full run of the house, we would go go-karting, we would do camps, he would come to the office with me, all those things, but we always had this home base. And what I realized when he came to me, because there was a lot of tension early on, naturally some tension about him starting a new school and what some of the issues were going to be for the H in starting a new school, a lot of tension there. But there was even more tension between he and I about just rules of the house. Because what I realized in like fun camp dad mode was that there really were no rules, yeah. <laughs> right? There were yeah. no rules. There's no guidelines. None. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. We just yeah. having fun. We're just kicking it, right? It was like good time, break time, amazing, great time. We actually had to sit down. Once I realized that 
he was jarred by the fact that there were boundaries and jarred by the fact that there were conditions on the space and his behavior that he had never experienced in 10, 11 years of being here that you know, we had to sit down and write a little contract, right? I had to write up a little contract about like the behavior in the house, an agreement, almost like a citizenship agreement that he and I both had to sign about how we would behave and operate in this space. And it took me back again to a lot of what you had been dealing with and even AD, like you're having a toddler and you're having them running around and just the joy of them just running around in your space, just free, like that freedom and no boundaries and just boundless, right? To then be in a space where we've created this environment, the environment's great. You know, you've got the domain, you know, you understand every nook and cranny of this space. You can come into my room whenever we can kick it, open doors, all that, other than keeping the cat out of places where we don't want cat hair, it's open doors in all this space. But sitting down and actually writing that agreement between the two of us about citizenship in this home and what that meant and how behavior would be rewarded and or how behavior was what the expectations were on behavior in the space. That was a big deal. And it cleared up so much when we set those boundaries and established those boundaries. Our relationship just went into new places that I didn't even think about with him coming here. I was just happy that he was coming to be with me full time, but I didn't really think about all those parameters. And I'm really glad that I've had the ability to observe your relationship with spades and some of the things that come out of that. And look, the H is 13. There's so much more growing to do. He's a full-blown teenager with all the teenage stuff going on. And so this is going to manifest and it's going to like change over the course of the next couple of years. But it was a pretty incredible learning overall to be able to instinctively then say, oh, wait, I know what the problem is. You know what I mean? And that experience that you had certainly had a lot to do with that. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that little volley we just had is like, the main sentiments that came to mind listening to AD talk about nesting and making space and placemaking because parenthood is not just real time. Parenthood is also very much about memory and psychology. And so when you're creating space, you're thinking like, you know, AD's talking about calendars. Like, yeah, like there's Mondays and Wednesdays and there's hours, there's things that you can measure, right? But for the child, it's not something that's all that tangible. It's just like, home, play, fun, memory. And then when you begin to adjust the way they move and behave in the space, as well as the way you interact with them, because for me, I moved to New York. It wasn't the same space, but just me as a person, it was a different dynamic when you go from like Giaga Lake and Chuck E. Cheese and like Dexter's Laboratory to like, is your homework done? The teachers are calling. It's a different pivot. And I think that you deal with that in a space that was hyper tense because it was in COVID, bro. You know what I'm saying? So that's like a historic parenting feat we had to accomplish there. So when I think about nesting, man, it's like those are the things that I think about, like creating space, making space, but also knowing that those memories that come from the nesting. So like while you're having this time, AD, you know, with G, as he gets older, it might not necessarily be he remembers everything. It's going to be like that emotion will be there. That emotional framework of when I'm with dad, we have fun. I run around. And as he matures and as you have to like adjust 
the different ways you might have to deal with the nesting is just going to be like ideally a great place to build from. I think in both cases, as kids are saying and as I'm saying, those memories make them as pleasant as possible because that becomes like a foundation to pivot from. But it's better to pivot from a solid footing. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because, yeah, right now, Garvey's, he turned two next month, but he just have no clue that the world is falling apart. Yeah, no doubt. Which I think is kind of great. And I guess one day he'll look back on this. We're doing things like playing in the yard. I'm showing how the blower works with his toys. You know, country boy fun, basically. But at any given moment, this kid would like be like, all right, I'm done outside. I'm going inside the house because I know where the front door is. And I want my iPad. And it's just wild shit that this almost two-year-old has this idea that it's things that we're doing together, but I want to get back to the things that I like, which is Elmo and iPad. And it's, it's wild. And I'm sure, you know, obviously as you get older, he's going to do a bunch more things that doesn't involve mom and dad. But to your point, it is about that foundation. And uh, that's the whole point of even this house we're living in. Like wherever me and Nicole are located on the planet, is always going to be home for him. It doesn't matter if we live in a cardboard box or some lavish shit out in, I don't know, Africa or whatever. It's always going to be home for wherever we at. He can call that home. Even if he get his own home, it's going to be home. By the way, let's go with the latter. I like lavish in Africa better than cardboard. <laughs> <laughs> no question. Words of power. Words I'll, of power. I'd rather have motherfuckers in Africa saying, ain't you that football player from Georgia? <laughs> but you know, I'm a last boy. I can't make a cardboard box be lavish. No question. With your dad over there behind your shoulder saying, yup. Yep. <laughs> yeah, man. So, hey, man, speaking of like pouring that foundation, right? Because you spoke on this. And I'm also curious about the world that you're building down there from an artist standpoint. You talked about trying to ultimately create a little bit of a artist enclave and what that means to you, what that means to the world. You look at like uh, Akon and what he's doing in Africa and building a city that is replicant of what's happening in like Dubai and some of the Middle Eastern countries, like these kind of mega cities based on ideals. And even like a Theaster Gates, who's doing some of the same work out of Chicago and taking some of that work over to Africa and other spaces. What is building that foundation look like for you? And do you have hopes that you're creating an environment that inspires Garvey and maybe other youth to explore their more kind of like non-traditional or what could become traditional means of expression and artistry and all that. Yeah, it's funny about the idea of a maroon, right? Like because you know maroons are either born free Africans in this new world or escaped Africans from sorts of confines of like slavery or captivity or whatever, and they went off and created their own communities. And some maroons are either Paul Beres down in Brazil or Maroons down in Jamaica or even like American Maroons that you can consider part of the Gullah Geechee culture, right? And it's the thing about all of those things, I'm looking at this whole Maroon concept as a open source idea of what connected communities can be throughout the diaspora. So how Airbnb became a marketplace of people who are hosting guests in their homes that's kind of how I'm seeing the maroon, right? At some point, I do want this to turn into a marketplace, right? Like other people can create their own maroon and maybe we put it on a marketplace and allow people to start more or less hosting people 
in a certain type of creative mindset, right? So whether it's going to be hosting a guest or hosting a salon or hosting like an art show or a book signing or some type of food experience or just whatever, or just cool brown people, right? And they don't necessarily have to be black or brown people, just people who's empathetic of our overall existence or whatever. And so we're looking at this idea of the maroon. It's, it's definitely a mindset. It could be a network, but definitely it's a way of living. That's how we're looking at it. So one day, Garvey would more likely see this type of living, and hopefully he can apply it to whatever he want to do. Even if it's like, I want to create my own business doing, I don't know, sourcing seashells for 3D printing, as an example. And he'll have an idea how to do that because he's seen it not just from his parents. He's seen it from the people either we hosted or their close friends or literally just somebody we know, you know? Yeah. K-Dub, when we had the studio space, I mean, for context, Adrian, Kamau, and I were all in the same studio building for a couple of years, which was a beautiful thing, man. But K-Dub, when you had the studio space you know, in BK over in Red Hook, was any of your thought around that space one that ultimately was also about inspiring spades and creating an environment of creation that spades could see and aspire to? You know, speaking of my context, bringing the H into that environment and letting him see us in our kind of real, like, natural creative state whenever he was in there and seeing other creation happening, you know, around that world, but also being able to just ride his scooter freely, you know what I mean, around the building, around all the creation happening. That was a really wonderful thing for me and I think for his development to see that there's other things that he could be doing outside of just schoolwork and whatever careers that are pushed upon him or thrust upon him. You know, I'm curious if having a studio space in any way had any motivating factor in helping to expose space to a broader world of creation and creativity. Yeah, there's a number of ways to answer that. When we did our recent road trip, we both just kind of like, we're like sharing our favorite knit songs. And Nip was a great artist with quotes and lyrics and vibe for us to like just have a conversation. You know what I mean? Like certain artists, their biography and their music give you a chance to talk about things that it's just like a weather difference. It's like winter versus summer. Like some artists who talk about their biography and their work and it might feel cold. Other cats, it's like tropical. And so growing up, Kanye was our, like, Michael Jackson, uh, late registration. That was, like, his thriller album. And I remember being in the studio with him when he was in high school and playing, like, that interview with Kanye and Kim Kardashian's mom. He's like, yo, turn it off. Like, turn it off. I can't see him act this way. The way he changed his voice, the way he was just, like, seemed, like, swagless. It just made him feel away. And that was him in high school. And now here we are in college, and it's like, we're talking about Nip discussing being in Africa, buying property, establishing businesses. And now that he's at a point where he can like look deep into lyrics above and beyond just like how things sound and feel to relate it to his own life as an artist and as a creative, as a person who likes to write, you know what I mean? It's English. And so we're talking about writing and bringing that back to creativity. And that was like the backdrop. But like somewhere later on in the evening, we were just kind of like chilling at this apartment and just like talking about art and legacy. And I remember just kind of like saying like at the right moment, I was like, like, bro, you're my logo. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Like I can tell you what I'm telling you and I can say it five different ways. 
But I remember when we went to the studio in Red Hook and I had the color bar and I had the red backdrop. I took him, gave him like $20 to be my model. And I photographed him holding the color bar. And I was like, anything I've ever wanted to express about what my business is about, it's about me creating something that you can walk into someday. So anybody who I ever invoice or go to my website, anything, like you are my representation of what my work is about. And I think that that was a pregnant pause, you know, and the stage is like, listen, he was just like, I don't know how he felt about it, but I remember at times he was a young and then he's getting older. So I like update my logo. So that changed it. <laughs> right. I remember thinking to myself like, you know what? I'm going to keep the logo the way it is. I might have a lot of iterations, but I think that it's really important that people understand that my grandfather was a photographer. I'm an artist. My son's an artist. That continuity key. So when I think about what it means to like have individuals, I mean, honestly, God bless Kanye. I ain't mad at him. I want him to get well. I want his happiness more than anything. But I remember when I met Kanye, I was like, yo, like me and my son, we love you. This is his name. And we just like, yo, like, all right, cool, walk with us. I knew somebody who was working with him. So he like grabbed a piece of paper. I walked with his entourage. He drew spades, a teddy bear. And I just remember like that was a win. I came home like, yo, I got a drawing from Kanye for you. And so I think that whether it's Kanye or Nip, just being able to have creatives and creative spaces have a platform it's all extensions of the concept of nesting. We need to have a space, whether it's land or it's the network or it's a place to create or it's your psychic environment. Young black youth, young black girls just need to have something that they're given. So we're not starting from a deficit because we're not just starting from ground zero. If you're in this hemisphere, you're starting at a deficit if you have zero. Right. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Very true. Brothers, I appreciate the sharing here. I mean, the show is deeply personal. We get into some deeply personal topics. So I appreciate, as always, the candor and openness. One of the things about nesting that you both have mentioned that's really important is community. And so just individually, I'd love for you guys to both speak a bit about Kamau Black Gotham membership and what that community is and what that means. And then AD, Pepper, and what you're doing with Pepper and the community that you're looking to build there. So KW, you want to take it first and talk about Black Gotham membership real quick and just you know get the people some place to go to to support what you're up to and be a part of the community that you're building. Yeah, I mean, membership is something that started because we listen. It's funny, bro, because I don't know how much you know this, but in a lot of ways, membership connects between the two of y'all in a way that is, is uh, maybe counterintuitive. I remember one time you're working with a brand. I'm not going to say the brand, but they sell cigarettes. I remember you were telling me that that brand, based on statutes established, I think in the 90s, that they just can't talk to their market directly. And I remember that sticking in my mind, like, damn, this is a multi-billion dollar industry, but it's illegal for them to talk to their market directly because of the ramifications that their product can have on their health. And then I thought about how I talk to my market directly all the time and how much I learn and benefit and gain from being able to speak with people who are consuming the experiences that we're selling. And so every time we do a walking tour, I feel like we're getting like a triple benefit. We're paying, we're having experience, we're learning, but then we also get a chance to get in real time how they feel about the brand experience. And one of the things that we heard early on 
by people who took all the tours that were available. It's like, we need to do something else. This is not enough. We've done all the tours that are available. We come to all your events. You should create a membership. I was like, okay. So it's not my idea. <laughs> and so by creating a membership, it was like, all right, this is something that we'll do that can give people another opportunity to stay connected with the brand. So you support it, but also we'll create some perks here and there. And last year, we made more money from our membership than we did from two of our walking tours combined, our public walking tours, not our private ones. And then this year, when coronavirus hit, it was like our baseline between like March until now, where it's like things might be kind of iffy with respect to us being able to do things, but people are still supporting the membership. So it's been great for us. And also, if you go to our Instagram, we have one of our crew members, Lauren, talks to members every Monday. You were one of them. And that was like, she learned from you like she learns from me. It was like a triple mentorship. It was dope. But in short, it's just community building. We learn a lot from history that one of the things that like Black and Indigenous peoples have lost through our progress is community. And so if we're able to rebuild community while we're telling our stories, that we can make up for lost time, double time. So if people are interested in supporting BGX, but also being part of a community, it definitely benefits us. And it also is something that we've seen really benefits people who enjoy the perks, but also enjoy being a part of something that satisfies that itch that we have to re-erase the erasure of our ancestors and create a new platform for our future generations to come into the world like plus two versus like a negative one. At Black Gotham, link in bio. That's all you need to know. <laughs> hey, D, what's up with Pepper? Oh, Pepper, man. We're in a good, good spot, man. It's still in beta, I guess. This idea of nothing's never going to be fully complete, right? It's always going to be something that needs to be improved upon. And this idea that a product will be in beta, it means that we're always going to enter, you know. I think even Google still like the joke that they're technically still in beta, exactly. right? Exactly. Been around 20 plus years, right? Mm -hmm. That said, our next move with Pepper Archives, the big thing I've been learning because, you know, I've run a couple of ads with it just to get some learnings on IG about who our audience is and who we're specifically talking to. It's cool to like build a product or build an experience that's more or less going to help entrepreneurial type creatives sell their work in a marketplace manner, especially to like film houses or design studios or even like agencies or consultancies, right? The one thing I've been learning about running these ads is that the type of creators that we need to attract probably need to be a little bit more refined because there are a lot of us who are great creatives, don't necessarily understand how to license your work or understand the value of your work from like a marketplace perspective. And then this idea of if I ask a person to figure out like when it comes down to the photography, uh, did you do certain things like get a release form. Those things never come across the mind of a lot of creators because it's just in the mindset of capturing imagery. And the new world we live in, obviously, shooting photos is democratic in nature. But the licensing of such photos hasn't changed. So while that world is still changing or trying to catch up with the technology, me and my business part of the learning that we're going to, have to do a lot of educating for the type of creators that we're looking for or help these creators become pepper creators through certain types of media how-to videos, seminars, or even like just Zoom calls or whatever, just to kind of give people like, hey, here's best practice of how to shoot something. Here's best practice of how to 
get a IP attorney to help you license your work before you put it on any marketplace, not just Pepper. So we're learning that Pepper Archives is definitely teaching a lot of creatives and not just helping them to sell their work. So yeah, it's kind of interesting, bro. So I don't know if that's like a whole nother business model. Oh, like, I don't know, Black Creative Design School, if that's the name of it. I don't know. It's kind of weird to say it like that, but yeah, or just the Pepper Design School, if that's going to be something. And which is funny because I'm always coming back to that, which is educating a lot of us to be in this field. Um, especially since I've been kind of trailblazing it in my own manner in the last 25 years and learning from the greats of like Charlie Palmer and Dorothea Taylor and Chuck Harrison and George Oden, who designed the, uh, Cleo Award. So yeah, man, that's where we at. We're learning that our audience is mostly women, definitely a certain type of male, 100%. But in terms of the people who's going to consume the content or buy the content, it's going to be mostly women. And our goal is to make sure that we can, if nothing else, help more women be in the commercial creative field. Because a lot of them are writers, but a lot of them are not art directors and designers and photographers and cinematograph or whatever, you know? Word. Definitely the H will probably be one of your second students. Garvey is definitely number one in the crew. So search Pepper Archive on Instagram. It's Pepper is underscore US, right? Oh, you can go to the website, pepperarchive.com. You can link from us right to all our social properties. But uh, yeah, we're currently selling some inventory in terms of like stock, things that can be licensed. But we're also selling original stuff, right? It's not just things that are like stock, but the artists work themselves. If they want to sell physical work, you can do that too. So we got to set up where it can be digital or a physical marketplace. I've sold a couple of things and now I'm just trying to help other artists do the same thing. Other creators do the same thing. Yeah. No, I love that. Love that. I mean, you know, again, it's a part of the context, you know, ultimately that when we're trying to build our communities and build these worlds independent of what we do in the day to day or as a part of what we do in our day to day, it's incredibly important to have the community support. It's incredibly important when we're thinking about nesting and building the spaces for ourselves and for our kids. To have the community surround that. And I'm greatly appreciative of all the efforts and everything that you guys have been in my world, in H's world, and everything I've been able to be in you guys' families' world and in you guys' world individually. And that's a part of what this is all about. So on the macro, continue to listen, like, subscribe to what's going on with the stages. Hopefully this content continues to be really valuable and all these things that we're building are things that are public record that we want to pass on not only to our families and to our youth, but to all of you as well. So thank you for tuning in and listening to this episode of the stages. We'll be back next week and appreciate y'all. One love. The Stages is a production of Sauce Kitchen Studios, produced and edited by Ali Ojbe, and featuring the track Going Home by Classic Beats. That's Beats with a Z. You can find Going Home on his album Spaces in Noir, and you can find that on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere else you get dope-ass music.